When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Mike Molina, Andy Brad Bernard, L.A. Nick, and Doug Sprinthal. We will be right back. We're talking dogs. We're talking cats right up to this Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Ladies and gentlemen... Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. See, you got it right. It's because Catherine isn't here. She's just distracts She distracts me. It's true. Her stunning beauty. She's a very good-looking woman, your yeah, wife. It's true. I don't know how you ever did that. Anyway, um, moving right along, we are doing something at all the Walzer stores in Minnesota with, in conjunction with the Minneapolis Police Federation and KSTP Channel 5 TV called Stuff the Slay. So we are collection points for new toys that the cops are going to distribute to families in need, I think about the 15th of December. I was at Toyota, and they've already filled the back of the Tundra, and we'll probably have to put another one on the show floor. So if you're in the neighborhood, if you're feeling in the spirit, just drop something off. Our employees participate in this stuff every time we do it. It's really kind of fun. So that's it. And if you want to buy a car, we have those too. That's not a bad thing, having a car. Cars are good. Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com. Merry Christmas, baby. I was saying that to Doug just now. Who was that? Which one? Who was that, Molina? Uh, Charles Brown. Oh, uh, okay. Charlie Brown. I love him. I just watched Charlie Brown Pumpkin. I'm the great pumpkin. It's a different Charlie Brown. Is it? Are you sure? Yeah. I think sure. it's the same one. Carlene, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. You know what's phenomenal, Carlene? What's that? They give the pronunciation guide to your name, mm. only it runs out of space, so you can't yeah. see what it says. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's Deoka. It's they got Carlene think. Montez de, and then it just, is it Deoka? Yes. Oh, no. Yes, it's Montez Deoka. It Montez was so de. good up until that point. <laughs> okay, Carlene Montez Deoka. Carlene Goose Mountains. Is that what? Yes, yep. Carlene Goose Hill. Oh, very good, Andy. It's an interesting name. <laughs> I like it. Dog is my doctor. Cat is my nurse. An animal lover's guide to a healthier, happier, and more extraordinary life. A special gift for your audience. Wondering what your dog or cat knows about your health that you may not. That is true. Now, Carlene, it is amazing that 
Is it true that dogs can sniff out things like tumors? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, yeah. In fact, there's a really cool story in inside of my book where I actually talked to some acupuncturists who are actually experts. They've written lots of papers. They've been published and they have cancer sniffing dogs in their clinic. And can I share a quick story about something that happened with them? Whatever you'd like to do. This is your time, Carlene. Cool. Well, what happened was that they have dogs just from the community who they train to sniff out actually breast cancer. And I've watched the trials where the dog will walk around and suddenly stop when there's a vial of, of um, cancerous like tissue and they will mark, they'll, they'll make, they'll sit down. And so, you know, that that vial has cancer versus other ones that they just walk by. Well, there was somebody who was actually one of their dogs was in that trial and they decided to take the dog and do a show like one of those, you know, like how well can my dog walk, you know, in front of the judges and all of a sudden, they were walking with the dog, and suddenly the dog stops and sits in front of one of the judges. And, you know, you're not supposed to do that. And suddenly the judges disqualify the dog, and the woman whose dog that was, she was like, oh, my God, should I say something? Should I not say something? Uh-oh. And sure enough, she did go up to the judge and say, look, my dog, this is what my dog does, and this is what she did. And the woman actually went and got tested. And yes, she had cancer, and it wasn't even the kind of cancer that the dog had been trained to sniff out. Really? And why do you? Yeah. What is that based on, Carlene? I mean, the science behind it is how can they sniff out something that's sealed inside of flesh and bone? And it's muscle? not really sealed. The humans aren't a sealed. Uh, well, I suppose system. that's true. Yeah. What is the time? Well, I know dogs and cats can smell a lot better. What's the, it's how many times more yeah. than humans? It's something like ten to a hundred thousand times more. So <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, we don't know what exactly it is, but obviously, like, not only can they sniff out, you know, tumors and cancer, but there's dogs that will know when somebody's blood glucose is up, like a diabetic, and so they can warn them, or when somebody's going to have an epileptic seizure. Yep, I've seen and that before. Think, really? Yeah, what's that? I've seen yeah. people that have and, dogs that warn them for seizures. Yep. Right. Right. Which is amazing. So That's can, amazing. It is. It's incredible. It really is. And um, so we see this all across the board. There are so many things that our dogs can be so beneficial for us, you know, in terms of their sense of smell. But just and not, you know, there's so many other things that they benefit us in terms of service and therapy dogs. And, you know, just just your guy in your house, I'm sure, is full of ways that they can help you with your health and wellness. No, I don't think there's any question about that. Catherine and I have a three-year-old named Jude. Cavalier King Charles. Cavalier King Charles. Mostly he behaves, but you know how dogs can be. But what's interesting is we were out of town over the weekend, and Jude has never liked cats. Never. He does not like cats. But he stayed with a a person on my morning show, and she has a cat, and Jude just loved her cat. But it's a special, it's a Savannah cat. So So what does uh, that mean? It's uh, half domestic and half some sort of African wild cat. So I wonder if he knows that that's like, you know, somehow he knew that that cat wasn't to be messed with. Oh, really? Is that what it was? I bet it was. Do you think that's right, Carly? You know what? Uh, It's interesting you should say that because I saw my dogs one time where they're they're pretty much like, hey, you know, we're kind of in charge here. You know, they walk around the neighborhood and (laughs) they have that attitude. And suddenly I, I saw one of them just kind of cringe a little and I'd never seen her do that. And as we were walking past somebody's car, I think they had a wolf hybrid in the car. When I looked at the animal, I was like, whoa. And I could tell my dog was just like walking, just treading gently where she wasn't used to doing that. So I think there might be something to to that. So they can just tell and... It smells wrong or something? It smells wrong? Is that what you think? Different, different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we're, we're, we're animals, and they're definitely much more in many ways connected to nature and... Uh, to those things than we are you know we certainly you know pull ourselves away from nature with all our technology but they're still pretty uh in tune with that i, I found out something about our dog now again our, we've had the dog since he was about so four or five months old six months old something like that so we've had him for two two and a half years or maybe even a little longer than that isn't it andy i think two, I, I think we got him in in march i think yeah so i think it'll be three years it'll then. be three years in march so this is a dog that 
if if my wife is busy, he adores my wife. If my wife is busy, he will run over and sit on my lap, and he'll stay on my lap until she's not busy any longer, and then he'll get <laughs> off off my lap and go hang out with her again. And this just happened for the first time, and so it must have been something I did for the first time. But I pet him when he's on my lap, and you know, I, I pet his head, and I, I you know, pet him on the sides all the and I had to grab something, and I reached across him. So in other words, I reached across his chest, and he started growling at me. <laughs> and I thought, why? <laughs> what? But apparently, they they somehow instinctively think you're going to choke them. Uh, was what was it? That's how it was explained to me. Is apparently he interpreted that I was going to choke him. Well, there must have a vulnerable area. <clears throat> yeah, I suppose he just. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't. I don't know. I've never heard that explanation before. I, I do know that there sometimes is uh, is at least it was explained to me. You know, like I had an instance on a bed once where my dog growled at me when she was on top of the bed, and I tried to get on there, and I'm like, okay, no, that's not okay. You got to, you know, like <laughs> you just lost your privilege there. You you, you can sleep on the dog bed then. Carlene, <laughs> are there some people that just absolutely adore animals their whole lives, and then? What I've noticed is I get old. As I get older, I like animals more and more. The older I get, the more I like animals. It's not. The, it's not that I never liked animals at some point because we had dogs when I was a kid. But it just seems the older I get, I just I enjoy spending more time with them. Do you think that there may be something there with like maybe you're more empathetic and just more kind of connected to life in general? Do you think there may be that as you're getting older? I think it's a possibility that I hate people so much that I enjoy being <laughs> with animals. <laughs> well, I do hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> do you really? Do you really oh, hear that absolutely. a lot? I think oh that's my God. hilarious. I, I, yeah, I think there should be a special club, you know, where, in fact, after I wrote the book, I have had several people write me letters and they'll say something like, is it wrong that I love animals more than I love people? You know, I, I hear that a lot. A lot of people do, actually. Yeah. Dog owners yeah. live longer, healthier lives. A new study of more than 3.4 million people finds that uh, owning a dog is linked to a longer life. I could see that because our dog takes a lot of stress away from me just by sitting on my lap. That's true. Yeah, and exactly what you described. I mean, what you just described, as I get older, I just, you know, I, I, I seem to really love animals more. There's there's just wellness and benefit in that feeling. Can you imagine? I love more than I feel stressed. And there was a recent, actually a very recent uh, study that just got done. It was 12 years they did that showed that uh, having a dog decreased cardiovascular disease um, yeah. by 33% and I think 36 percent in terms of just overall death and cardiovascular disease is like the number one thing that will probably take us out you know that is the biggest chronic disease down right. the down the path for most people carlene when when Catherine and i my wife and i first got together about 37 years ago a couple of years later we, we we bought a dog it was an irish setter named clayton and he had this weird characteristic he was a big iris setter and he was the sweetest dog in the world but if he did something wrong you wouldn't have to discover he did something wrong because when he looked at you his eyes would dance he'd kind of go doing 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 <laughs> it was really weird he didn't want to look at you he didn't want to look at us his eyes would dance back and forth like i'm not looking at you i'm not looking i'm not making eye contact it was hilarious Oh, so he gave himself away pretty quick. He did, and one time I found out why. He, he was really had the eyes going like there's no tomorrow, and I went over, and this was at the advent of the microwave bacon, and, of course, when we discarded the paper towels that the oh, bacon yeah. was microwaved on, he oh. ate the paper towels. Well, wow. <laughs> covered in bacon grease. <laughs> Unbelievable. He had dancing eyes like there was no tomorrow. But, I mean, there's so many what? stories in our lives alone, Carlene, that uh, we had another Irish setter, that, uh, and then we had a, a collie that, that was hanging out with you. We lived on a farm at this time. And so we had an Irish setter, and we had a, um, a collie, and the Irish setter got old. And we didn't know this, but the Irish setter went into his doghouse and died. But we didn't oh. know, and, and then the collie disappeared. So after about a day, I went, oh, my God. And I, I went and looked in the doghouse, and I saw that Chester, our, our Irish setter, had died. 
We never did find the collie again, but nope. then somebody found the collie's bones on the riverbank. And Tucker went out into the uh, woods and died. He just went out in the woods. Rather than stay with wow. us, it went out and just gave its life up. It just didn't want to live without Chester. It was Cat, really amazing. Cats, cats will usually go hide to die. They, well, that's what he yeah. did. Dogs, I haven't seen a dog do it, but I know most cats will hide to die. That's amazing. They don't want you to find them dead. Mm. Yeah, he it, it is amazing. It, you know, we think that it's only humans who have these reactions, but I, I also was told a story. This was actually a horse story, but somebody told me that they, they had two horses, and one day they woke up and they heard this. They had never even heard this sound before. It was like this wailing almost. And they went outside and they saw one of their horses looking over one of their other horses who had died, and those two had always been pasture mates. Oh, yeah. And this horse was mourning in this way that it made everybody just feel so awful. But Aww. after two hours, they stopped. And then they just went back to eating grass. And what she took from that was, you know, I think we all feel sad when somebody passes, somebody mm-hmm. we love, but then we have to move on. No, I think that's absolutely... I, I know that we've already talked about the fact that dog owners do live longer. I just think, you know, sometimes I watch the news, particularly these days, Carlene, and everybody hates everybody else, and then you watch the other <laughs> news channel, and they hate the other the other side, and everybody hates everybody. Do you think that if everybody had a dog or a cat, they might calm down? Yes. In fact, I think of that probably every single day. I think of <laughs> I know. It's because if you, if you think about, uh, I, I, there was an article recently that said that the one of the ways that crosses the the barriers between Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill is that they all love animals. In fact, that some of them have brought their animals and you see them, they're these cute little dogs and you wouldn't expect that guy to be holding that dog. And they will not argue in front of each other because they think it will upset the dog. Carl, so I'm thinking that is brilliant. It is brilliant. Why do you think that some people have it in their heads to mistreat dogs so badly like this Michael Vick? I mean, this man Mm -hmm. killed dog after dog after dog. Why do some people hate animals so much? Well, I, you know, there, have you heard of the idea of guardianship rather than ownership? You know, using that terminology rather than saying, I own this dog. Right, right. Saying, you know, I am a guardian. You know, so a lot of people, we've been, well, what we see is when people think of themselves as owners, like I own this dog, or I am the master of yeah. this dog. Yeah. Then you know you're gonna have, you're gonna think of that more as a possession or a commodity or a thing, and it maybe you've been raised in that environment and that's what you think. I mean, I certainly was raised in a very different way with animals. I mean, we didn't mistreat them, but we we know we left them outside. We didn't, you know, that's the way I was raised, and I certainly don't have that point of view anymore. But I think that you know, uh, you know, I I don't know how Michael Vick was raised, but I imagine he may have not had the best upbringing in terms of learning how to be compassionate. In yeah. fact, when I was when I was uh, researching my book, I went to San Quentin and spent the day there with oh. uh, in- inmates who were actually had a program. The Marin Humane Society had brought in rescue dogs, and they needed the, some of the inmates to care for them. And it was the most amazing thing. I got to have a little tour by one of the inmates, and he said, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, and we fought dogs. That's what we did. We chained them. He says, it would never, ever, I would never do that again. He said, these animals have taught me how to be more tolerant, how to be kinder. You know, I now am not angry and flying off the, you know, off the cuff at everybody. And not only have they made me, you know, kinder towards animals, but kinder towards humans. Isn't that what we want out of our prison system? Yeah, there you go. That works for me. Uh, My dog is my doctor. Cat is my nurse. Carlene Montez de Oca. Was that pretty accurate, Carlene? That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. Wonderful talking to you. Wonderful talking to you. Thanks, Tom. Bye, Andy. Bye. Oh, Andy's buddy. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. As a locally owned community bank, we pride ourselves on individually crafted financial solutions and quick response times. H&B Elevators, a Minneapolis manufacturer known worldwide for custom elevator designs, had an option to buy their headquarters. We stepped in to get the deal done with SBA and Urban Initiative financing. See an opportunity too good to pass up? Stop in. We'll make it happen. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. 
Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. LASIK changed my life. Dr. David Whiting changed my life. He can get rid of those contacts, get rid of those glasses, and truly change your life. He's performed over 100,000 LASIK procedures, so there's no one else around who can compare. Let me tell you, if you're thinking about having your eyes corrected, check out Dr. Whiting and the folks over at Whiting Clinic. They've got the most advanced lasers. They've got the most experience, and they've got the best price guaranteed. All the reasons you'd choose Whiting Clinic for your LASIK vision correction. Make this year the year that you get LASIK from Dr. David Whiting. Schedule your free LASIK exam at whitingclinic.com, and please tell them I sent you. That's whitingclinic.com to take the first step in having clear lens-free vision at Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Clever and everything. Way to go, my friend. Did you see? Did you see anything about uh, Malcolm's funeral? No. It was it was pretty touching stuff. Malcolm Young, sixty-four yeah. years old. They, his brother his brother carried his guitar Aww. out. And Angus, it, the only one left. George died yeah, last but month. But the funeral right? was pretty touching, man. It was pretty touching. Yeah, I could see that. Everybody from the band's past was there. God. It was pretty. It was it was pretty cool. Too young, no doubt about that. Chester Bennington, the Lincoln Park frontman who hanged himself in July, had a small amount of alcohol in his system, but urine tests did not detect the drug ecstasy despite an initial presumptive positive, according to an autopsy and toxicology report seen by TMZ. I don't think you hang yourself on ecstasy. No. That would be a very weird so. reaction to that drug. I would imagine. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office report states that a bottle of the prescription drug, what was it, Zolpidem? Zolpidem. Zolpidem. Zolpidem, a generic version of uh, Ambien, was found in his bedroom along with an empty bottle of Stella Artois beer. Well, that's 6% alcohol. Yeah, that would so. take you right out. Take you right we had out. about 40 of them. And a pint glass of Corona. The singer, who had a long battle to, uh, with depression and alcoholism, told friends before his death that he had been sober for six months. Chester's widow, Talinda, told authorities that the 41-year-old would have suicidal ideations after consuming alcohol and threatened to kill himself in 2006, E-Online reports... Well, the, why would you drink alcohol if it makes you feel like killing yourself? Well, there is that. It's such a... It's, it's like, I don't get it. I feel too good, I think I'll drink yeah, and want to really. kill myself. Like, what's he punishing himself for something? Oh, I guarantee you. I guarantee you there's a punishment thing in there. Mm. There is either he was told that he was a piece of dirt or he thought he was a piece of dirt. Or, Insecurity but, and depression is... Yeah, it's terrible. Dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Let's see how his parents were. Uh oh, we're looking. Um, he was molested by an older male friend when he was seven until the age of thirteen. So oh, there you go. Yep. And it's then his parents got something. His parents got divorced when he was eleven. Oh God. Uh. Yeah, and when he was a teenager, he started doing alcohol, weed, opium, coke, meth. Yeah, so it's kind of like an L.A. Nick life. Where do you even find opium? I, guess I don't know where to find opium. Little, you have to go to Little China. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a weird. Thing. You know what? Yeah. You know what's funny? I I I tell the story before, not on the show, but I've only been offered opium one time in my life. And it was right here in downtown Minneapolis. Really? Yeah. Where do you get? Where do you get opium? Well, where do you get it? The That's Nankin. Weird. The Nankin. You go to the Nankin. I was sitting at a bar and this guy next to me going, hey, want to do a hit of opium? Well, the thing is, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'll pass. Heroin and all of those prescription uh, painkillers like Vicodin are synthesized from opium. Right. But the thing is, opium is so unconcentrated that you have to smuggle a lot more in order to make anywhere near the same amount. Whereas like with heroin, you, you know, like one little rock of heroin or whatever can be worth hundreds of dollars, whereas that much opium is going to be like one hit, so no one sells it because it's just not efficient. God, isn't that amazing? How old was the guy that was molesting him? Uh, just said older. Just said older, didn't say how old. Mm -hmm. And he molested him for six years. Yep. How did that happen? 
He didn't tell anyone because he didn't want any, well, you know, standard, uh, what do you call it? Embarrassment. Yeah, there you go. Shame and guilt. Exactly. So you did nothing, but you feel shame and guilt over it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing like that's ever happened to me, so I can't understand yeah, how severe that is. Well, I'm sure it's my warping. Look yeah. at survivor, survivor's guilt. It's the same thing. Yeah, I suppose. Someone, you know, everyone dies in a plane crash except one person, and that person feels guilty for surviving, even though it's like, what did you do to feel guilty? No, that's very true. But people, I tell you what. I don't know. When people cut songs like the one we just heard, and they're screaming that ardently, there's something behind it, I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. It's always there. Oh, and look at that. The <laughs> well, abuser. No, but somebody did. Sometimes it's theater. Yeah, sometimes. Look at that. The wine coolers, this party uh, I was at. And it just, I started laughing just because I was thinking, like, alcohol's destroyed so many lives. And I was just thinking, like, I wonder if wine coolers ever just fucked somebody's life up. <laughs> just took somebody down. Just wine coolers, that's it. Like, could there be a more pathetic way to go to rehab? You have to stand up in front of everyone, like, hi, my name is Nick, and Kiwi Strawberry ruined my life. <laughs> oh, God. That's what happened to Bartles. Bartles and James, yeah, I got, thought. Now you got two F-bombs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three. The even amount. That was self-inflicted, though. Yeah. Andy, what were you going to say? Um, the guy who molested Bennington was also molested himself as a child. So yeah, that there's that cycle be, for you. But hey, Bennington never molested anyone as far as we know. So there you go. Cycle broken. You know what's really amazing to me is you would think where I grew up, I would have heard a lot of that. I never heard of it any of that stuff. If it happened, no one would have talked about it, I don't think. I suppose not back in People those days, particularly. People feel embarrassed about it. Like, I mean, I went to Catholic school for eight years, but I, there was never even a murmur that the priests were, you know, well, that touching was a very up the kids small number of priests. You know, there was a very small number of priests that actually did it. The only reason true. it became a huge thing was because of the cover-up, not the actual, like, yeah, that's true. size of the operation. But another component to this whole Chester Bennington thing is not only, I mean, to take yourself out for something, you know, you should have no guilt over. But then he also, you know, was a father of six. Yeah, you know, that's... So you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, how about feel guilty about yeah. leaving six kids without a dad? That's a lot worse than anything uh, that you did before. Oh, listen to you down there who said, if I had $100 million, who needs a dad? That's not what I said. <laughs> that's exactly what you said. Doug was here. I was Doug here. Doug was here. He the best it. sound drop ever. I cut it. Oh, Sorry. now it's the best sound drop ever. <laughs> Go ahead, play it, Mike. Well, it's, and he's got a yeah, who button. knows where it is in this. Oh, man. Suddenly I can't find it. <laughs> in this mess that we have. And he always here. gets stuff right under in one second. Right. That's what he can't find. It's, it's alphabetical, so it's. I don't know what happened to it. I uh, can't find it. Never seen that from Andy. Oh, here we go. Uh, well, here's the long version, so it'll have context. Okay. Well, but I, I mean, I guess you miss out on having a dad for, you know, two thirds of your life, but you also. You get a great big inheritance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Who needs a dad when you got $100 million, apparently? <laughs> oh he did right say apparently, said apparently. I was sitting right here when he said it. Yeah, too. but he did say apparently. So he wasn't talking about himself. <laughs> I think you were actually out of the room I don't think point. you were here. No, no I think yeah. you guys were in Florida. No, that it, wasn't in Florida. No, I was here. It was here, but Dad I was wasn't here. here no, for it was here, but you weren't here for some reason. Was there a Did we have a guest ringmaster? How long ago was it? Tell me what it was. It had to be two years ago. No, it was last year. No, actually, you know what? It was earlier this year because I think it was uh, you were sick after Punta Cana. Oh, I think that was it. Oh, there's a shock. (laughs) Really? Anisette got uh, you a little sick. Anisette's the guy's name. Date created would have been February. Is what the, when the file was made. Yeah, so that was right after Punta Cana. Yeah. We're going to Punta Cana. I think in March this year, though. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is that Andy stabbed me right in the back. In front of half a million people. In front of a half a million people. Thanks a lot, Andy. Way to go, my friend. Way he did say apparently, though. He did say apparently. So that's, that's a very, little very that's but not that, as bad. Because we were talking about whatever, what's his face? George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney and his kid was like, I don't know. It was, there was some article about his kid. But I actually did I help Andy out because then I cut one a few weeks later when he burned Alex. It was really good. He burned Alex? Yeah. What did he say about Alex? What did I say about Alex? Way to go, Andy. Typical. Well, I don't even know what I said. Oh, you can play it and then you... Well, but which one is it? Well, you can (laughs) play it. I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, you can just play it and make a fool of yourself. I mean, it's a different 
relationship between, you know, Andy and I have a different relationship than Alex and I do. Like Andy says things like, well, if I had $100 million, who needs a dad? <laughs> you know, Alex has never said something like that. She already has all the money, so. Oh, oh, oh man. Oh, man. That was pretty good. That's harsh right there. Well, you said the same thing today. I just love what she said today, though. Only <laughs> Alex. I manage my money better than my friends. Oh, really? <laughs> Do you? Well, I don't doubt she does... Uh, spend a lot less on like you know going out to the bar and everything. yeah she does that's true because going out to the bar is one of the worst financial decisions you can make and just like you know if you just buy the you same thing at home. a brand new bar owner <laughs> well i mean if you're going out drinking that, that buying a new what, car so i i actually think the opposite so i i don't keep alcohol in my house at all i love that i think it's the exact opposite <laughs> no yeah i guess <laughs> well, i'll tell you why let, let me tell you my reason i guess if you can't stop drinking so then yeah. i i have a no alcohol rule in my house yeah, right. I know. I, I, my friend Kendall's the same way. I he don't not let out. No alcohol. Because no bar Kendall's? Yeah. Wow. So a bar I will cut you off. I, I only met him once, and he was having fun. I want you to have to. I want to make the have to make the effort to go out to yeah. drink and spend a lot of money, so that's, that way you don't drink as much. That's true. Because a lot of people, if they do buy liquor, True. then they're just going to drink it all, and that's a right. whole I lot worse. I think you're better off that you have to go to a bar. Because I'm the kind of person I've I've had the some bottles of liquor for like eight years. But I guess most people probably don't keep them for that long. I didn't know that, that was legal. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I said I didn't know that was legal. But some people will sit home and drink it. Yeah. Sit there and drink a whole bottle. That's true. Yeah, it's. Guess not I didn't good think for about you. that. So not uh, a good I plan. I think you're better off not having booze in your house, and you have to spend ten dollars a drink. So that way you're not going to drink that much. You're not going to drink anywhere near as much. It's true. I think it's a healthier decision. But and plus, uh, when you go out to a bar, you can get like a hamburger or whatever instead yeah. of just eating and, Doritos all day. And they can cut you off. Yeah. Say so you're too drunk. You need to. I have never been cut off in a bar. Of course, I'm not. I, you I have to get pretty bar. drunk. You got to get really you hammered. You know what? It's starting imagine. to change. That's that's starting to change downtown. People yeah. get cut off now. I, Do they? In the last year, I've seen it more and more. Oh, good. I got cut off at O'Gara's in college. You did by yeah. Danny. That was one of them. Or maybe it was Vince Flynn that I cut you off. poured a beer over one of my buddies' heads. Oh, God. Out! <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, well. Do you remember the guy who threw you out? I don't remember who it was. Again, that was 1979. That was back when it was only on the, the one side of the bar. They hadn't even built the, the, other the music side. room or the other side or anything. That took a long time. <laughs> I get an email from Kendall. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what you should or do at your bar is say, uh, after you've had a few drinks or whatever... Um, if you can stand on one foot for 30 seconds, then you get a dollar off. But if you can't, then you don't get to drink anymore. You have to leave. There you go. I see a lot now. They, they cut them off at the door. They go, you know what? Come back tomorrow. It looks like you already had too much. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah pre-gaming is really weird. I've seen that happen a lot lately, which right. I think is good. They just tell them you can't come in? Yeah, they go, come. they'd say it nicely. Hey, why don't you come back tomorrow? It looks like you had... Too much already. Yeah, because what people do, they'll drink at home and then they'll go out to the bar for some reason. Oh, so they because they don't have to spend as much money to get all lit up then. Yeah, and bars don't want the fights and you know. No God, no. That's what we used to do in the old days. <laughs> Me and a buddy of mine would go down to Doc Holiday's out and where's that Shakopee? It was like going oh, to Shakopee. The, I remember like going that to the end of the world it in was, the seventies. Yeah. So we drink a pint of Southern Comfort in the car on the way out there because oh, we didn't have God. enough money for drinks. That, those were long nights. I just Boy. got a glass. Uh, remember Uncle Sam's? Oh, sure. I just a got one. I got a firecracker glass. Oh, do you really? I just got one. You did? Yes. Yeah. eBay or something? No, Where'd somebody you find brought it? it to me as a gift for the bar. That's probably worth something. Not a ton, but it's got some it's, sentimental It's a nice value. one. It's yeah. perfect. You know, it says firecracker and Uncle Sam's on the back. I thought it was pretty nice. Yeah. It's a nice gift. Danny Stevens. Danny was one of the owners. Dude, Danny, Danny Stevens. <clears throat> Yeah, Danny and that, Stevens. That was where owner. First Avenue is now, right? Correct. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, it was the depot. Well, first of all, it was a Greyhound bus depot. Mm-hmm. Right. Then it was called, a club called the depot. Then it was Uncle Sam's. Then it was just Sam's, and then it became First Avenue. So that was a long time ago. Danny Stevens. Oh, it was a long time ago. Yeah, Danny Stevens was one of the owners. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the craziest people I've ever met. I know. <laughs> Danny was a lot of fun to hang out <laughs> I with. Bet man. He was. You want to hear? I, I told you the story about the jump in his Rolls Royce, didn't I? Uh-uh. We were at a house party at Joe McFadden's house. who was a branch manager of Capitol Records, and uh, Danny's working for Areola Records, Areola America, and I'm mm-hmm. working for Capitol Records. What a horrible name for a record company! I know. I know. <laughs> Nipple America. That's really great. But he goes out to his Rolls Royce. It's like 25 below zero. Goes out to his Rolls Royce and it won't start. 
So Catherine goes, oh, I'll give you a jump. She has a four-banger aluminum-blocked Vega. Oh, no. <laughs> she jumps a Rolls-Royce and gets it started. <laughs> well, electrons are electrons. Didn't Danny live exactly. in Kenwood and some, it used to be an embassy or something like he that? He lived on Mount Curve. Yeah, beautiful, right. beautiful house. It was a, it was a gorgeous house, but uh, I just talked to Danny about God about a month ago. Well, I where is he now? Years. I don't know. We just talked about. Is the, he still here? Yeah, yeah he's still here. Yep, he's still still here in Minnesota. He was a piece of work, though. He's always very very nice to me. He's always mm-hmm. been very nice to me. You know, he had uh, Danny's reasons for God. I don't know how, how many years of Danny's reason together. Long, twenty had to be twenty years at least. Oh, I would think so. I don't think there's any question about that. Ladies and gentlemen, we've learned a lot about how to booze it up and how not to booze it up and where to do it. So that's good. When's your bar open? Well, grand opening is next weekend, but tomorrow night, Thursday, the 7th, is our pre-grand opening free concert with Free Fall and uh, remembering Tom Petty. I like it, man. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. When you care about your job, you care about the job you do. At Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, they hire the best people, treat them right, and they treat you right when you call to schedule an appointment. Bryant Furnaces and Air Conditioners and the Sabre Blue Maintenance Plan are as good as it gets. This is Tom Bernard for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Visit SabreHeating.com for special savings on air conditioners. Plus, get more information on their Sabre Blue Maintenance Plan. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. So you know that when you die. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our special guest, Jeremy Dauber. How are you doing, Jeremy? Great. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. Jewish Comedy, A Serious History by Jeremy Dauber. Now, I will tell you, I grew up in a neighborhood that was like Catholics, and then was a black neighborhood next to that, and then next to that was the Jewish neighborhood, which uh, basically what they did to us is wrap the freeway around us so we couldn't get off the north side. Oh, really? Okay. That's uh-huh. a true story. I'm telling you. Well, the same thing happened in Chicago. It's, it's true. But So I grew up around, even though I grew up a Catholic kid, I grew up around a lot of Jewish comedy. And I've, I... Oh, go ahead. Go on. I'm sorry, Tom. Go on. No, no. I want to hear what you have to say. I, I Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, in talking to people around the country uh, for the book, I've been hearing a, a story just like yours, um, which is to say that, you know, whatever background people... Uh, have grown up with some of the the, the, the interviewers and and, and and the entertainers. They everyone grew up with Jewish comedy yeah. in their in their mind. You know that's part of America. It's part of the American story. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, I, I I'm very proud of the fact that I, I bring this up. Again, grew up uh, a Catholic kid, uh, but I know how to speak more Yiddish than anybody else in this state. <laughs> that's because fantastic. I, because I was just paying attention. You know, I used to go to. A Plitman's Deli and hang out over there, go to the JCC or wherever, and I just picked up on it. And I didn't try to learn how to speak it. I just learned how learned how to, you know, it's by osmosis basically. There's an old there's an old saying to the effect that you don't speak Yiddish, but Yiddish speaks you. <laughs> and uh, that sounds like what's going on here. No, it's very very true. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite things is as I got a little older. Uh, we were talking this nice. Well, here, uh, here's a perfect example of how I grew up, Jeremy. On the corner of Penn and Plymouth Avenue in North Minneapolis, there was a drugstore called Desnick Brothers. And from Penn Avenue all the way to the Parkway was a Jewish neighborhood, right? Where all the Jews lived. 
And so I was standing on the corner, and Penn Avenue East was a black neighborhood. Okay. So we're right on the border. And I'm standing there, and I'm about seven, eight years old, something like that. And this old Jewish man came out, and in in that neighborhood, they all wore, the older Jewish men all wore Hamburg hats, and they had the overcoats with the, with the, uh, uh, the velvet collar. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Okay, so he's standing there, and he's lighting a cigar. He's lighting okay. a cigar, and he's looking down Plymouth Avenue to the east, and all these kids are running out in front of cars, and they're, just, you know, they're causing all this mayhem and blah, blah, blah. So this old Jewish man looks down at me and says, Kid, don't ever act like a schmuck like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's uh, it's good advice. I mean, it's a, don't act like a schmuck. I think is always good advice. Right? I mean, don't act like a schmuck is great advice. I never tell you when I was in grade school. There's a, a two houses down with the Lutermans, and David was a friend of mine, and we were in sixth grade. I said, and he used the word schmuck all the time. And I'm an Episcopalian. I didn't know what it means. I said, right. Hey, da- David, what is what is a what's a schmuck? And he thinks for about three seconds, and he goes, It's a guy that gets out of a shower to take a leak. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty That's good. That's a good line. That's a good line. Yeah. I, in the book, I think I have the joke about the, the schmuck, sort of the classic thing where, you know, he comes in second in the schmuck contest because he's <laughs> such a schmuck, he can't even win. You know? Can't even win a schmuck contest. Yeah. Why is comedy so important? Obviously, there's a lot of misery in the Jewish community when Jews first arrived in America. Is that where, where the love of comedy came from, all the misery? It's a you know it's a great way of putting it. I mean I think that uh, you know for all of Jewish history and 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 particularly you know up to coming into America, you know a lot of Jewish comedy was about sort of struggling with all of the difficulties of anti-Semitism and persecution and all of those things and says well you know um, I mean if we can't alter everything about it at least we can uh, kind of overmaster it in our minds by making jokes about it uh, and that's a useful strategy. I think in America. You know, part of what the story um, of Jewish comedy was was trying to accommodate to a country that, yes, it has its um, you know issues sometimes with Jews over its history, but it's been one of the most welcoming places for Jews uh, in, in 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 their long history, uh, and and sort of becoming part of the the American story while at the same time saying, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be part of the American story? That's that's been sort of the crux of American Jewish comedy. It is now. Where did you grow up, Jeremy? I grew up right outside of New York City. I grew up in North Jer- North Jersey. In North Jersey, in in like yeah, that. But see, so I'm assuming you're a nice Jewish boy. Yeah, yep. You assume correctly. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Now that's a good thing. I will tell you, and it's a joke that's been told eight billion times, but it's perfect humor, as far as I'm concerned. The old, uh, you know. The old Jewish woman walking down the beach, and I won't use the term because most people don't understand what an old Jewish woman's real title is, but she's walking her grandson down the beach. You know that joke. I, wo- I, in fact, I, I just published a list of the top ten oh. Jewish punchlines, oh. and he had a hat. Which is, I assume, where you were going. <laughs> Absolutely, that's where I was going. That was number one. That was my favorite. That is my favorite Jewish punchline. Mine it's a favorite Jewish joke of all time. It's the quintessential Jewish joke. You are 100%. Do you know that, Would Jim? either one of you like to tell the <laughs> entire <laughs> oh, Jeremy, you've got to do the honors. As a nice Jewish boy, you've got to do the honors. Well, you know, I, I feel like I should, uh, you know, I should defer to you, but, but I'm, I'm always happy to tell a good Jewish joke. So, you know, old Mrs. Uh, you know, Schwartz or what have you is walking down the beach with her, with her grandson. And you know uh, this gigantic wave comes and washes the grandson out to out to sea, out to the ocean, and and Mrs. Schwartz falls down to her knees and she you know she prays and she prays. She says, "God, please, please help!" And this gigantic hand comes out of the sky, goes into the ocean, picks up the young young Schwartz, and deposits him you know on the beach, soaking but but unharmed. And she looks up at the sky, she looks up at the heaven in the sign of, you know, God's providence, and she goes, you know he had a hat. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a Jack Benny joke. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who, do you know who wrote that joke, Jeremy? Because it's a brilliant joke. I don't. I think like all great kind of mythic, jo- you know, mythic things, it's sort of the, 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 the origins have been shrouded uh-huh. in mystery, but, but it, it, it speaks truth, right? I mean, 
you know, about yeah. the way that, uh, you know, you have this very close relationship with, with something up there yet, but it's close enough to be, you know, you're vouchsafed the providence of a miracle, but yet you have to complain. I still love the fact that the, the, the line has to be delivered correctly, and you did, is you know he had a hat. It's just he had a hat is not enough. She has to say, you know, he had a hat. It's brilliant. That's sort of what I feel. You know, you're all, you're all omnipotent. You're all knowing. So you couldn't have, you know, worked with the hat. Like, what's going on there? You know? Well, see, you knew it, but you didn't give me the hat back. It's funny how many Jewish things cross over into the Italian world. If you're, oh, if you're yeah. raised Italian, oh, yeah. it kind of crosses over. It's a oh, lot yeah. of crossover there. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, you know, when my previous book was about the guy who wrote the stories that became Fiddler on the Roof. And I think that, you know, that, that wonderful mixture of comedy and melodrama, people say, you know, this is an Italian story, it's a Japanese story, it's a, you know, it's everybody's story in some ways. And that's the providence of a lot of great comedy is that it, you know, it comes from a particular story, but, it, but it's universal in a lot of ways. Like e- even watching the show Everyone Loves Raymond, you could see the Jewish version of that. Oh, yeah, because he's, yeah, he's Italian. In, in the Italian and, show. It's like, you see, oh, it yeah. kind of crosses over easily. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that's place. that's exactly right. I mean, you know, Norman Lear, who wrote all of these groundbreaking television shows in the 1970s, I mean, he says in his autobiography that All in the Family, which features about as not Jewish a, a family as, as you, know, you can imagine, <laughs> that, that a lot of the dialogue was taken from his Jewish family, uh, you know, discussions around oh, the dinner table. I can see that, yep. absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I, I just... The whole situation from now, in again, in referring back to the old neighborhood, Jeremy, uh, Catholics because they believe in the Old and New Testament, mm-hmm. and you got Jews, the Old Testament. I thought and you Catholics got, only believed in the New Testament. No, no Old and New. No, I was raised Catholic my whole life. Well, then who believes in just the New Testament? Non-Catholic Christians would be the Protestants. Okay, Protestants, so yeah. so basically, the Catholics in my neighborhood were kind of the bridge between the Protestants and the Jews. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really were. Yeah, pretty much. I think every neighborhood. And an old, I'll never forget this. An old Jewish woman. I, we were talking about that very thing, and she said, "The only thing about Catholics, they're all shickers." <laughs> Which means they're all drunks, basically. That's close enough, anyway. I see. I love the whole idea. I, I got to tell you though, Jeremy. I think uh, they should have deleted the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's just not funny. Uh, you know, I can't. I can't disagree with you. I mean, I've oh. been, you know, uh, it, for me, every episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, in the past. Has Fabulous. been a you know must see immediate event and yep. now they're piling up on my DVR and it's just we were so yeah. excited when the new season and yeah. I was just so disappointed. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. Well, look, nobody. There's not a Jew in the world that's going to start yelling at a woman at a funeral. No, it was terrible. It's a terrible show. It's terrible. Very disappointing. Yeah. I, don't yeah. I mean, I th- yeah, I think it's just you know, I mean, a lot of times what Larry David did in previous seasons was he took this kind of you know offensiveness and this sort of. You know, being alienated from everybody, and he did this on Seinfeld too, and you know, and, and elevated it to a high art. But here it was just—it wasn't even low comedy; it just was sort of not yelling. Is it really uh, too and, bad? And that's not—you know—that's not good for anybody. God, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen—a serious history. Jeremy Dauber, a professor of Yiddish language, literature, and culture at Columbia University, whose biography, *The World of Shalom Aleichem*. See, I even pronounced yep. that right. Now. That was great. Ah, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Huh? That's pretty good. You had the. I, I can see you spent a lot of time around Yiddish. You have the ch. You I know, get the ch. I get the ch going. If you can't ch, you can't be around Jews. Well, the word just sounds wrong. If you if you say like a what like alaykem, it, like it doesn't yeah. sound right. Shalom alaykem or shalom. They'd probably say Baruch Atah Adonai. Still one of my favorites of all time. Baruch Atah Adonai. What's the matter with you, boy? Fantastic. By the way, did you notice our intro song was by a Jewish artist? Who's the intro? The, I didn't hear the intro. Spirit song. of the Sky. Oh, that's right. Norman Greenbaum. Yeah. One of the only Jewish <laughs> pop stars. <laughs> I, I, I well, love it. was Neil Diamond. Well, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, Neil Diamond did okay. A, Barbara Streisand could sing a little bit. You know. Neil Diamond could sing a little bit. Anyway, I wouldn't call Neil Diamond a pop star. but I, I do love the fact that, that comedy is so important. To uh, to Jews, I I I think it's a pro- prime example of how you overcome obstacles, how you move to a new land, you make it, you, you make it in every single uh, basically job description in the country, 
And I don't think Jews would have gotten there without all of that humor. I really don't. I don't think they would have made it through it. It would have been too bitter. I think that's true. I think there's another. There's also a, that, there's that side, and then there's the, the additional side, which is that through Jewish comedy and through that kind of universal feeling, like, like we were saying before, you know, it kind of introduced a, a, a new community to the American populace writ large, you know, and it, it, was, it allowed them to be much more welcoming because they said, oh, yes. these people, they're, they're, they're like us. They have the same kind of senses of humor in a certain way. And I, I really think Italian and Jewish households are just funnier in general. They are. I mean, they are. I grew up in a Jewish-Italian type household. It's, it's just there's a lot of comedy in your household, so it it comes out in comedy. Your life becomes real life becomes comedy. I have to say, you know, it's my household. Like this is where I got the idea for writing the book was from my household. I mean, we yeah. we just oh, lived yeah. comedy. We oh, told yeah. jokes and we, yeah. yeah, you know, all this stuff, and so that's what got me started on this uh, on this road. I will tell you back. I don't know uh, your uh, specific age, but. Uh, I remember as a little boy watching the Ed Sullivan show on Sunday nights and the exposure to the great comedians like, you know, first of all, Alan King was uh, phenomenal as a stand-up comedian. And I don't think he ever got the credit he deserved for being as funny as he was. He walks out on Ed Sullivan's stage one night and he says, had a problem. I got out in the street, stole my wallet. He's got all my credit cards. I found out who it was. I said, just keep them. You're spending less than my wife. <laughs> I mean, it's great stuff. Yeah. What you yeah, probably can't... He, you know, he, I think he's credited with this line, you know, if you're, if you're dying, right, if you're dying, talk louder and faster, which I think, you know, <laughs> speaks for something, right, something larger in the condition. He's a brilliant, a brilliant stand-up comedian. Who's yeah. the one that came out on stage and, and sang Born Free? Remember? Do you guys remember this moment? I don't. I don't know. He comes walking out on stage on Ed Sullivan and goes, it might have been Alan King, actually. Walks out on stage and he goes, born free, my father's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a very Jewish joke. Yeah. Jeremy, yeah. what a thrill having you on. Honestly, God, I, I, I love talking about it. It was a great part of my childhood and continues to be a, a big part of my life. I love the whole idea. Jewish comedy, a serious history. Jeremy Dauber, D-A-U-B-E-R. The book is available everywhere, sir? Yes, it is, everywhere. Bookstores, Amazon, everywhere. Come back, call, call in and tell me jokes once in a while. I love it. I'd love that. It's such a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you so much good for man. having me. Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy Dauber, Jewish comedy. I, I seriously always have been a huge... Well, Joan Rivers, another perfect example. Oh, yeah, she, she was amazing. Amazing. She was one of the best ever. She was. She really of was. All time. Changed comedy forever. Yeah. And she doesn't get credit for it. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.